0: welcome to the verity podcast for tuesday november 14th 2023 where we separate the spin from the facts i'm scott wallace and
1: i'm eric steiner with a look at today's top stories suella braverman is sacked in a uk government reshuffle after the palestine protest row fighting rages around gaza's largest hospital leaders from throughout the arab and islamic worlds convene in riyadh the U.N. sounds the alarm over violence and humanitarian needs in Sudan. U.S. House Speaker Mike Johnson gets pushback on his government shutdown avoidance. Ukraine claims three Russian officers are killed in a Melitopol blast. Donald Trump makes waves with controversial remarks on Veterans Day. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy mulls
0: not running for re-election. Tim Scott is out as a contender for the GOP presidential nomination. Iceland declares an emergency over a looming volcano threat.
1: The former QAnon shaman is running for U.S. Congress. In our top story, Suella Braverman is sacked amidst a U.K. government shakeup. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Independent, Evening Standard, Reuters, CBS and ITV News. U.K. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has undertaken a government reshuffle by firing Suella Braverman from her role as Home Secretary and replacing her with Foreign Secretary James Cleverly. Returning to politics to assume Cleverly's vacant position will be former Prime Minister David Cameron. Braverman had most recently accused the Metropolitan Police of bias in favor of pro Palestine protesters, which resulted in a prominent row within the UK government. Commenting after her sacking, Braverman stated that the role had, quote, been the greatest privilege of her life, while claiming that she, quote, will have more to say in due course. James Cleverly has described his appointment to the Home Secretary as an honor, having previously held the role of Foreign Secretary. Cleverly continued that the, quote, goal of his job was to keep people in this country safe. Sunak's office has confirmed that David Cameron, who occupied the Prime Minister's office from 2010 to 2016, has been approved by King Charles III to have a seat in the House of Lords to become Foreign Secretary. Cameron is not an elected member of the House of Commons. The last foreign secretary to serve in the House of Lords can be dated back to Peter Carrington under former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Cameron stated that he hoped his six-year experience as Prime Minister and 11 years as Conservative Party leader would assist Sunak to face a, quote, daunting set of international challenges. Sunak's surprise reshuffle has also seen Steve Barclay move from health secretary to environment secretary, replacing Therese Coffey, with Victoria Atkins taking up Barclay's previous role. Esther McVeigh has been appointed a minister without portfolio. Greg Hands has been replaced as conservative party chairman by Richard Holden, and Laura Trott
0: has become treasury chief secretary. All right, Eric, thanks for those facts. We have an assortment of political narratives on this story. Let's start with the Guardian's left spin. Sunak's latest reshuffle screams only of desperation. While finally axing the hate-filled Home Secretary, the revival of Cameron from the political graveyard merely reaffirms that the Conservative Party has nothing more to offer than status quo incompetency. Albeit dramatic, today's changes will do little as Labour continues to head toward a landslide victory similar to 1997. The Sun gives us a right narrative. While today's bold
1: decisions by Sunak do not come without their dangers... The shocking return of David Cameron at the indirect expense of Suella Braverman will be viewed as an excellent coup. Sunak has, for now, pushed back against the party's right wing while acquiring a political giant in return. While Cameron's foreign policy legacy is by no means smooth, it's his experience that Sunak will draw upon as a general election continues to loom over UK
0: politics. And a conservative narrative from GB News. The sacking of Braverman, a leader of the UK's silent majority, has led to fury. Sunak continues to act in bad faith. And it is he, rather than the now former Home Secretary, who should be finding his way out the door. Braverman executed her job the way Britons actually wanted, but Sunak would rather quiver in the face of liberal criticism than pursue actual popular policies on immigration and policing, including properly policing pro-Palestinian demonstrations.
1: And finally, there's a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 67% chance that the UK will have a Labour Prime Minister on January 1st, 2030.
0: Fighting around Gaza's largest hospital continues. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the New York Times, Axios, Financial Times, Sky News and The Guardian. Since the beginning of Israel's ground operations in Gaza City over two weeks ago, Israeli forces recently managed to hold positions around the Al-Shifa hospital complex near the center of the city. Israel has stated that it seeks to capture the complex as it claims that it has the administrative center of Hamas's de facto government in the Gaza Strip and a base of operations. Hamas has rejected the claims that it has bunkers underneath the hospital. Gaza's health ministry said that at least 32 patients at Al-Shifa Hospital have died over the past three days, including three premature babies due to lack of fuel to run the hospital's generators. Israel claimed that it had left 300 liters of fuel near the hospital, but Hamas refused it. Hospital staff have disputed Israel's claims, saying that they want to receive fuel via the Red Cross or another aid agency, and Al-Shifa requires 8,000 to 10,000 liters a day to function. The Palestinian Red Crescent reported that the Al-Quds hospital was forced to shut down on Sunday after running out of fuel, with preparations being made to evacuate its 6,000 patients with Israel reportedly present in the vicinity. Meanwhile, Israel said that it would like to install former British Prime Minister Tony Blair as a humanitarian coordinator for the Gaza Strip to improve the humanitarian situation and reduce building international pressure. Blair's office said that he had not been offered a role, but his political allies said he was considering taking on a humanitarian role. Axios reported that the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, expressed concern to his Israeli counterpart Yov Gallant on Saturday about Israel's role in escalating tensions on its northern border with Lebanon as the situation continues to deteriorate. Pentagon said Austin emphasized the need to contain the conflict to Gaza and avoid regional escalation. As of Monday afternoon, per the Palestinian Ministry of Health in Hamas-administered Gaza, over 11,000 people in the Strip have reportedly been killed, over half of which were women and children. Israel revised its official estimated death toll of Hamas's October 7th surprise attack, lowering the number to reportedly around 1,200 people, down from the more than 1,400 initial figure. Israeli authorities said that around 70% of those killed were civilians.
1: Scott, thanks for laying those facts out for us. The first spin is a pro-Israel narrative coming from the Times of Israel. Israel has presented evidence that terrorists from Hamas have placed their headquarters underneath the al-Shifa hospital, specifically with the aim of using the civilians at the facility as human shields. Israel is doing everything it can to minimize harm to the civilian population. After Hamas's heinous attack on Israel, the
0: country has the right to ensure its security. Middle East Eye responds with a pro-Palestine narrative. Even if Israel's claims that Hamas is using al-Shifa as a base of operations are true, It still has an obligation under international humanitarian law to prevent unnecessary harm to civilians and should not attack the hospital under any circumstances. It seems that Israel is committing abhorrent human rights violations in Gaza, namely collective punishment, and the international community must do more to stop this war on
1: Gaza. The Metaculous Prediction community has a nerd narrative. They say there's a 30% chance that a state-based conflict between Israel and Iran will cause at least 1,000 deaths before 2025. The Iranian president visits Saudi Arabia for the Gaza summit. Here are the facts as agreed upon by DW, Al Jazeera, The National, Middle East Monitor, Arab News, and The Times of India. Iran's President Ibrahim Raisi joined Arab and Muslim leaders for a summit hosted by Saudi Arabia on Saturday, the first visit by an Iranian president to the kingdom in more than a decade, following the escalation of regional tensions due to the war in Gaza. Addressing the summit, Raisi called on the delegates to designate the Israeli army as a, quote, terrorist organization, while leaders from the 57 mostly Muslim-majority states rejected Israeli claims that it was acting in self-defense. While Raisi also called for the arming of the Palestinians, the delegates from the Arab League and the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, or IOC, urged an arms embargo against Israel that they claimed was destroying Palestinians' homes, hospitals, schools, mosques, and churches. On the summit's sidelines, Raisi and Saudi Arabia's de facto leader, Mohammed bin Salman, held bilateral talks on the Palestinian crisis, with the Saudi crown prince also committing to boosting ties with Iran. In a resolution issued after the summit's conclusion, the Muslim leaders accused Israel of, quote, war crimes and, quote, inhumane and brutal massacres in Gaza. The communique also called for humanitarian aid to be allowed into the enclave and for a, quote, two-state solution. Sunni-majority Saudi Arabia and Shia-majority Iran suspended relations in 2016 following attacks on Saudi diplomatic missions in Iran in response to the execution of a Shia cleric by Riyadh. However, the geopolitical rivals agreed to resume diplomatic relations following a China-mediated deal in March.
0: Thanks, Eric. Iran International brings us the anti-Iran narrative. While the summit was intended to signal the Muslim world's unity against the alleged Israeli crimes in Gaza, it ended up showing disagreement above all. The participants not only rejected Tehran's push for sanctions against Israel because of its counteroffensive against Hamas, but they also rejected its demand to break off existing relations with Israel and to designate its army a terrorist organization. What is preventing Muslim unity and regional peace is not Israel, but the Iranian regime, which only seeks confrontation with Tel Aviv. Tehran Times gives us a
1: pro-Iran narrative. Iran's presence at the summit was historic and highlighted how Israel's brutal campaign of collective punishment against Palestinians is not only uniting the Muslim world, but also creating further rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia, as well as countries such as Egypt. The fact that there is not full consensus at such a major summit is nothing unusual and doesn't undermine the growing spirit of Muslim unity. It's not Iran, but Israel and its Western sponsors who are sowing discord and have no interest in regional peace.
0: And Metaculous is here again with a nerd narrative. They predict a 57% chance that Saudi Arabia will normalize its relations with Israel by 2031 if Iran gets a nuclear bomb by then. The UN claims the violence in Sudan is on the verge of pure evil. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Taipei Times, Reuters, The Voice of America, Guardian, Business Standard, and Al Jazeera. A senior UN official warned on Friday that violence against civilians in Sudan is verging on pure evil. A surge of devastation following over seven months of fighting has left at least half the population in need of humanitarian assistance. War erupted in April after weeks of rising tension between the Sudanese army, loyal to Army Chief and de facto Head of State Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, and the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or RSF led by Al-Burhan's former deputy, Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, over a plan to integrate forces as part of a transition from military rule to civilian democracy. The UN has received continued reports about sexual and gender-based violence, enforced disappearance, arbitrary detentions, and grave violations of human and children's rights, according to the agency's humanitarian coordinator for Sudan, Clementine Nkweta Salami. There have also been reports of ethnically motivated killings in West Darfur after the RSF took control of the main army station in the state capital of Algeria. Over 6 million people have reportedly abandoned their homes and are now internally displaced in Sudan or neighboring countries. And around 25 million people, more than half of the population, need humanitarian relief and protection. Head of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, or UNHCR, Filippo Grandi, has warned that the current dynamics at play could lead to a repeat of the horrors that occurred two decades ago when the Jonaweed militia was unleashed in response to a rebel revolt by former Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir.
1: Those were the facts, and we begin our round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative is being provided by Global Conflict Tracker. This situation certainly has taken a turn for the worse, with millions forced from their homes and the Sudanese health system at risk of collapse. Many also fear that the conflict could spread to neighboring countries. Foreign military influence from the Russian Wagner Group and the United Arab Emirates further risks deepening the rivalry at the core of the crisis. The first step toward peace must be negotiations
0: between parties to end hostilities. The Gray Zone brings us an establishment-critical narrative. Sudan's problems stem not from Russia and the UAE, or local warring factions who pop up out of nowhere, but rather from Western meddling, dating back a century or more. Western governments so kindly offering humanitarian aid today are the same ones who toyed with Sudan for decades, solely to steal its resources and combat China's rise in the region. The West's involvement didn't end after the UK gave Sudan its independence, it just transferred control to the US State Department and CIA. The Metaculous Prediction
1: community gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 50% chance that there will be at least 10,000 deaths in the Sudan conflict in 2023. Speaker Johnson's plan to avoid a shutdown faces an intra-party resistance. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Examiner, Politico, Fox News, USA Today, Daily Wire and NBC. Republican U.S. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson is facing blowback from several members of his own party over the two-part Effectively Clean Continuing Resolution that was unveiled on Saturday to prevent a government shutdown. This comes as the Rules Committee on Monday is set to consider whether the spending package can be taken to a housewide vote the following day. In a full vote on the floor, the Speaker could only afford to lose four GOP votes for the proposal to pass without the support of some Democrats. The short-term spending plan, which excludes any additional funding for Ukraine or Israel, would extend four appropriations bills dealing with agriculture, energy, housing, and transportation, as well as veterans programs, until January 19th. The remaining eight spending bills would have to be worked out by February 2nd. The White House has also voiced its displeasure with the proposal, accusing House Republicans of, quote, wasting precious time with a plan that has been criticized from both sides of the aisle. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, last week urged the House to only advance spending cuts that would receive bipartisan support. He also announced a vote on a stopgap bill to fund the government ahead of the November 17th deadline. Meanwhile, Moody's investor service on Friday cut its rating outlook on the U.S. government from stable to negative, citing mounting risks to the country's fiscal strength based on disagreements in Congress over a plan to reduce the deficit.
0: All right, Eric, thanks for those facts. CNN brings us the Democratic narrative. Johnson has neither the experience nor leeway to unite his conference and pass this extension that would dangerously set up the U.S. for two shutdowns. Far-right Republicans who ousted former Speaker Kevin McCarthy for similar actions are pushing the country into the abyss. The Republican narrative comes from PJ Media. Although a handful of
1: House Republicans have expressed opposition to this bill, Johnson and his caucus shouldn't be blamed for a potential shutdown. House Democrats are the ones forcing a shutdown because they
0: know it'll be a political win and the mainstream media will shield them from blame. And Metaculus has another nerd narrative predicting a 47% chance there will be a government shutdown before January 1st, 2024. Ukraine claims three Russian officers are killed in a blast. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Ukraine Form, Foreign Policy, ABC News of Australia, and Reuters. At least three Russian officers were killed in a blast in the Moscow-held city of Melitopol, Ukrainian intelligence said on Sunday. The explosion on Saturday took place during a meeting of Russia's National Guard and the country's primary intelligence service, the FSB, according to Ukrainian intelligence. The main intelligence directorate of Ukraine's defense ministry said the attack was an act of revenge which was carried out by representatives of the local resistance movement. As a result of the explosion, at least three National Guard officers were killed at the headquarters, the statement added. As a result of the explosion, at least three National Guard officers were killed at the headquarters. Information of other enemy losses is being clarified, according to the statement. According to reporting from Foreign Policy, Ukrainian intelligence has worked with local partisans in Russian-occupied territories to carry out surveillance and attacks from as early as 2014. After Melitopol, a town in the Zaporizhia region, fell to Russia in the first days of the war, it has frequently been targeted by partisan groups. Ukraine, meanwhile, has said that retaking Melitopol was a key goal of its counteroffensive, as doing so would also enable it to drive Russia out of Crimea. However, since the launch of Ukraine's counteroffensive in early June, it has retaken only a handful of small villages along the front line.
1: Scott, thank you for those facts. Our first spin is a pro-Ukraine narrative, and is coming from Ukrainska Pravda. Mm-hmm. Ukraine is stepping up its attacks on Russian military targets and other key sites. These attacks are being carried out inside occupied areas of Ukraine, as well as in Russian territory, demonstrating to Russia that Ukraine isn't backing down
0: anytime soon. And TASS brings us the pro-Russian narrative. It's time for Ukraine to realize that it cannot defeat Russia militarily. The sooner they realize this, the sooner the conditions for a peaceful settlement will be created.
1: Trump vows to target the radical left in his Veterans Day remarks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Washington Post, and New York Times. In a post on Truth Social on Saturday, quote, in honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, former U.S. President Donald Trump made a pledge to root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. He also accused political extremist groups of doing, quote, anything possible to destroy America and the American dream. During a speech the same day, Trump claimed that, quote, they'll do anything, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. He also argued that the threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within, and that if you have a capable, competent, smart, tough leader, Russia, China, North Korea, they're not going to want to play with us. Trump further blamed Democrats for blocking the expansion of health care access for veterans, causing inflation, and pushing the country toward a world war. He also accused them of treating illegal aliens just pouring into our country better than they treat our veterans, adding that he would take the money used for the shelter and transport of illegal aliens and divert it toward the treatment of homeless veterans. During his speech in New Hampshire, a state that has been hit particularly hard by the opioid crisis, Trump again called for the death penalty for drug dealers and praised China for making drug trafficking a capital offense. He then conducted a straw poll asking the audience to raise their hands if they would, quote, be in favor of the death penalty if they knew it will solve the problem. His remarks come after an interview with the National Pulse last month in which he accused illegal immigrants of, quote, poisoning the blood of our country adding that they come from, quote, prisons, mental institutions, and insane asylums, and that they include terrorists and bring disease. New York University historian Ruth ben Giat said that calling people vermin was used effectively by Hitler and Mussolini to dehumanize people and encourage their followers to engage in violence, adding that when he refers to others as tyrants, he's positioning himself to be the instrument by which freedom is delivered.
0: Okay, believe it or not, we have some opposing political narratives on this story, Eric. Let's start with the anti-Trump narrative from Raw Story. It's not hyperbole to compare Trump to history's worst authoritarians when he continually speaks in the same tone and with the same vocabulary as the evil dictators of the 20th century. From claiming immigrants will, quote, poison the country, to now calling Democrats, quote, vermin, this is a massive alarm warning of how endangered America's democracy will be if Trump is elected in 2024. We counter that
1: with a pro-Trump narrative coming from New York Post. Leftists have used defamatory rhetoric on Trump and Ted Cruz, before which is grossly unfair. The Democrats, up to and including the party's leader, Joe Biden, have tried to equate conservatism with the worst authoritarian movements in history, which is, ironically, the same tactic used by the most evil autocratic regimes.
0: And Metaculous chimes in with this nerd narrative, predicting a 42% chance that Trump would win a 2024 presidential election matchup with Joe Biden. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy mulls whether to run for re-election. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Newsmax, USA Today, Washington Examiner, The New York Post, Politico, and CNN. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, revealed in an exclusive interview with CNN that he may not run for re-election in 2024 after the unprecedented loss of his speakership, adding that a final decision will be made after discussing the matter with his family during the holidays. The statement to Manu Raju aired on Sunday comes a month after McCarthy insisted that he was planning to be on the ballot in 2024, dismissing reports from Politico that he was mulling not to enter the race for his House seat representing California's 20th congressional district. The most recent Republican House speakers before McCarthy retired from Congress after giving up the speakership. While John Boehner, Republican of Ohio, resigned amid an intra party mutiny in 2015, Paul Ryan, Republican of Wisconsin, opted not to seek re election in 2018. If the California Republican serving in one of the few safely red districts in an otherwise deep blue state decides to run for re-election, he would have to file his candidacy ahead of the upcoming December 8th deadline for prospective candidates. Late last month, business owner and self-styled America First Republican David Gilio announced a primary challenge against McCarthy, who has been easily re-elected in the House in multiple recent races. During the interview, McCarthy also criticized the eight House Republicans who voted to unseat him as speaker, saying that they weren't conservatives. He claimed that Representative Matt Gates, Republican of Florida, led the effort to unseat McCarthy because of ethics complaints against Gates himself. Scott, thank you for
1: the facts. We began the round of spins with Narrative A coming from the Gateway Pundit. If someone still had any doubts over why McCarthy was ousted, this interview has unequivocally demonstrated his inability to hold the gavel and even to seat in Congress. He appears not to understand that he was fired because he failed to align with what the GOP base instructs and in make good on
0: its promises while spending taxpayers' money. Narrative B comes from American Spectator. While McCarthy isn't replaceable, his potential retirement from Congress is another indication that the era when the GOP valued its diversity and embraced good-faith disagreements may be gone forever. Matt Gates and his gang of eight are willing to push the Republican conference to the extremes, even if that means risking the implosion of the party and losing control of the House. Once again, the
1: nerds from Metaculous give us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 50% chance that Republicans will control the U.S. House of Representatives in 2024.
0: It does take a special kind of person to be able to take a step back, you know, and become a lesser rank in, a, in, a, in an organization they had been, been in before. Like, you don't see a lot of NFL head coaches becoming assistant coaches on their no. same team. Usually they have to go to another team for that. Right, you
1: know? right. Yeah. Senator Tim Scott suspends his presidential campaign. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Business Insider, CNN, Al Jazeera, and USA Today. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott on Sunday announced he's suspending his pursuit of the 2024 Republican presidential nomination and said he doesn't plan to endorse another candidate. During an appearance on Fox News, Scott said, quote, I think the voters who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me, quote, not now, Tim. Scott started the race with a $21 million lead on his rivals after he converted his Senate campaign account into a presidential fund. But when the Super PAC or Political Action Committee supporting him, trust in the Mission PAC, pulled the remainder of its $40 million ad buy in the fall, citing problems, quote, breaking through with voters, it appeared he wouldn't be long for the race. The 58 year old, who is the only black Republican in the Senate, had been polling at 2.5% of the vote, which ranked him sixth in the Real Clear Politics average of recent polls. Scott's departure is the second by a major candidate for the nomination, coming after former Vice President Mike Pence suspended his campaign last month. Former President Donald Trump, the front runner, had 58.5% of the vote in the most recent Real Clear Politics average. All right,
0: thanks, Eric. Washington Post brings us the Democratic spin. Although GOP voters seem to like Scott and his positive vibes, they didn't want him as president, Preferring instead the fire and brimstone rhetoric of Trump. As Trump's challengers start to fall away and his hefty lead continues to hold, it's apparent that Republicans are going to bank on voters tiring of President Biden rather than nominating a challenger with positivity who appeals to a wider audience. Breitbart
1: gives us a Republican narrative. Although Scott's campaign never gained traction with the GOP electorate, It served its purpose of showing Republicans how to, quote, put woke Democrats in their place and how to approach issues of race and class with nuance. Scott hopefully attracted voters of color to the GOP, and that will likely pay off for Trump in the general election. And the
0: nerd narrative from Metaculus predicting a 90% chance that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for the 2024 presidential election. Iceland declares an emergency over a volcanic eruption threat. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, First Post, Euro News, The Guardian, DW and BBC News. Authorities have declared a state of emergency in Iceland and ordered residents to evacuate their homes and leave the coastal town of Grindavik after nearly 800 earthquakes rocked the country's southwestern Rockiness Peninsula in 14 hours. On Friday, the Department of Civil Protection and Emergency Management said an emergency was declared due to intense earthquake activity at Suntinu Kajigar, north of Grindavik, which could lead to a volcanic eruption. At least 24,000 tremors have been recorded on the peninsula since the end of last month. The Icelandic Meteorological Office has warned that magma accumulation beneath Mount fagra could be brought to the surface and trigger an eruption within a few days. Although all roads into Grindavík are closed except for emergencies, Iceland's Civil Protection Agency emphasized the evacuation is primarily preventative as the town of 4,000 have a good amount of time to react. Meanwhile, the Blue Lagoon Thermal Pool, a popular tourist site, is closed as a precaution. At the same time, Svartsengi Geothermal Plant, which supplies electricity and water to about 30,000 residents, has implemented precautions. Iceland, with 33 active volcanic systems, frequently experiences high seismic activity. The 2010 eruption of the Eyjafjallajökull laya katul led to widespread airspace closures over Europe and the cancellation of 100,000 flights. Scott, thanks for laying out those facts. We have a couple of spins that have emerged,
1: beginning with Narrative A, coming from Environment. Iceland is prone to earthquakes and high volcanic activity because it's located on a tectonic boundary between the North American and Eurasian plates on the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. Not much can be done to protect the country from toxic volcanic hazards and hot molten lava, which puts the lives of residents and infrastructure
0: at risk. And Narrative B from Financial Times. While there's no way to accurately predict when exactly an earthquake will occur or whether and where magma might reach the surface, Iceland can reduce casualties and infrastructural damage if it stops using its volcanic eruptions to lure tourists, who live-stream videos of the dangerous natural wonder to serve fresh lava to their Instagram and TikTok profiles.
1: In our final story, former QAnon shaman Jacob Chansley plans to run for U.S. Congress. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NOP News 2, The Hill, Associated Press, and Fox News. Jacob Chansley, the man known as the QAnon Shaman, has filed paperwork to run for Congress as a Libertarian candidate in Arizona's 8th Congressional District. Representative Debbie Lesko, Republican of Arizona who currently represents the district, announced last month that she will not be seeking re-election in 2025. Chancellor gained notoriety as one of the most recognizable January 6, 2021 rioters with his horned fur hat, bare chest, and face paint. He pleaded guilty to a felony charge of obstructing an official proceeding for his role in the Capitol riots. In 2021, he was sentenced to 41 months in prison and served 27 months before being transferred to a halfway house in Phoenix, Arizona in March 2023. Chansley previously called himself the QAnon shaman, but has since renounced QAnon. In a statement made at his sentencing hearing in 2021, he said that he was wrong for entering the Capitol and that he was, quote, truly repentant for his actions. The U.S. Constitution does not forbid felons from holding federal office, but Arizona law bars felons from voting until they have finished their sentence and have had their civil rights restored.
0: All right, Eric, we have our final round of narratives on this rough day of news. Republican spin comes from Fox News. After spending nearly 27 months in federal prison, Chainsley is no longer the same person he was when he stormed the U.S. Capitol, shirtless. He has served his time and expressed remorse for his crimes. He has been rehabilitated and is well within his rights to run for political office. Chainsley's image was smeared by left-leaning mass media, and he has turned over a new chapter in his story. Counter
1: that with a democratic narrative coming from NBC. Not only is Chanceley the face of the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, he is a felon. Despite serving his time in federal prison, he still participated in a violent riot and used his platform to share hateful and baseless conspiracy theories. The fact that he is even attempting a run for U.S. Congress shows the true dangers of far-right politics in America.
0: And a nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a thirty-four percent chance that the United States will drop below a seven in the Democracy Index by the year twenty (laughs) forty.
1: Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Tuesday, November 14th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.News and download the Verity app on the
1: Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time
0: on the Verity Podcast.